Chapter thirty five of The Legacy of Cain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois. The Legacy of Cain by Wilkie Collins. Chapter thirty five The Future Looks Gloomy my ever-helpful guide led me to my room well out of mr gracedew's hearing if he happened to be awake at the other end of the passage having opened the door she paused on the threshold the decrees of that merciless english despot propriety claimed her for their own oh dear she said to herself ought i to go in my interest as a man and what is more an old man in the coming disclosure was too serious to be trifled with in this way i took her arm and led her into my room as if i was at a dinner-party leading her to the table is it the good or the evil fortune of mortals that the comic side of life and the serious side of life are perpetually in collision with each other we burst out laughing at a moment of grave importance to us both perfectly inappropriate and perfectly natural but we were neither of us philosophers and we were ashamed of our own merriment the moment it had ceased when you hear what i have to tell you miss jillgall began i hope you will think as i do what has slipped mr gracedew's memory it may be safer to say for he is sometimes irritable poor dear where he won't know anything about it with that she told me the lamentable story of the desertion of eunice in silence i listened from first to last how could i trust myself to speak as i must have spoken in the presence of a woman the cruel injury inflicted on the poor girl who had interested and touched me in the first innocent year of her life who had grown to womanhood to be the victim of two wretches both trusted by her both bound to her by the sacred debt of love so fired my temper that i longed to be within reach of the man with a horsewhip in my hand seeing in my face as i suppose what was passing in my mind miss jillgall expressed sympathy and admiration in her own quaint way ah oh, i like to see you so angry it's grand to know that a man who has governed prisoners has got such a pitying heart let me tell you one thing sir you will be more angry than ever when you see my sweet girl to-morrow and mind this it is helena's devouring vanity helena's wicked jealousy of her sister's good fortune that has done the mischief don't be too hard on philip i do believe if the truth was told he is ashamed of himself i felt inclined to be harder on philip than ever where is he i asked miss jillgall started oh mr governor don't show the severe side of yourself after the pretty compliment i have just paid to you what a masterful voice and what eyes dear sir what terrifying eyes i feel as if i was one of your prisoners and had misbehaved myself 
i repeated my question with improvement i hope in my looks and tones don't think me obstinate my dear lady i only want to know if he is in this town miss jillgall seemed to take a curious pleasure in disappointing me she had not forgotten my unfortunate abruptness of look and manner you won't find him here she said perhaps he has left england if you must know sir he is in london with mr dunboyne the name startled me in a moment more it recalled to my memory a remarkable letter addressed to me many years ago which will be found in my introductory narrative the writer an irish gentleman named dunboyne confided to me that his marriage had associated him with the murderess who had then been recently executed as brother-in-law to that infamous woman this circumstance he had naturally kept a secret from everyone including his son then a boy i alone was made an exception to the general rule because i alone could tell him what had become of the poor little girl who in spite of the disgraceful end of her mother was still his niece if the child had not been provided for he felt it his duty to take charge of her education and to watch over her prospects in the future such had been his object in writing to me and such was the substance of his letter i had merely informed him in reply that his kind intentions had been anticipated and that the child's prosperous future was assured miss jillgall's keen observation noticed the impression that had been produced upon me mr dunboyne's name seems to surprise you she said this is the first time i have heard you mention it i answered she looked as if she could hardly believe me surely you must have heard the name she said when i told you about poor eunice no well then mr graystew must have mentioned it no this second reply in the negative irritated her at any rate she said sharply you appeared to know mr dunboyne's name just now certainly and yet she persisted the name seemed to come upon you as a surprise i don't understand it if i have mentioned philip's name once i have mentioned it a dozen times we were completely at cross purposes she had taken something for granted which was an unfathomable mystery to me well i objected if you did mention his name a dozen times excuse me for asking the question what then good heavens cried miss jillgall do you mean to say you never guessed that philip was mr dunboyne's son i was petrified his son dunboyne's son how could i have guessed it at a later time only the good little creature who had so innocently deceived me remembered that the mischief might have been wrought by the force of habit while he had still a claim on their regard the family had always spoken of eunice's unworthy lover by his christian name and what had been familiar in their mouths felt the influence of custom before time enough had elapsed to make them think as readily of the enemy as they had hitherto thought of the friend but i was ignorant of this 
and the disclosure by which i found myself suddenly confronted was more than i could support for the moment speech was beyond me his son dunboyne's son what a position that young man had occupied unsuspected by his father unknown to himself kept in ignorance of the family disgrace he had been a guest in the house of the man who had consoled his infamous aunt on the eve of her execution who had saved his unhappy cousin from poverty from sorrow from shame and but one human being knew this and that human being was myself observing my agitation miss jillgall placed her own construction on it do you know anything bad of philip she asked eagerly if it's something that will prevent helena from marrying him tell me what it is i beg and pray i knew no more of philip whom she still called by his christian name than she had told me herself there was no help for it but to disappoint her at the same time i was unable to conceal that i was ill at ease and that it might be well to leave me by myself after a look round the bedchamber to see that nothing was wanting to my comfort she made her quaint curtsy and left me with her own inimitable form of farewell oh indeed i have been here too long i am afraid i have been guilty once or twice of vulgar familiarity you will excuse me i hope this has been an exciting interview i think i'm going to cry she ran out of the room and carried away with her some of my kindliest feelings short as the time of our acquaintance had been what a wife and what a mother was lost there and all for want of a pretty face left alone my thoughts inevitably reverted to dunboyne the elder and to all that had happened in mr gracedew's family since the irish gentleman had written to me in bygone years the terrible choice of responsibilities which had preyed on the minister's mind had been foreseen by mr dunboyne when he first thought of adopting his infant niece and had warned him to dread what might happen in the future if he brought her up as a member of the family with his own boy and if the two young people became at a later period attached to each other how had the wise foresight which offered such a contrast to the poor minister's impulsive act of mercy met with its reward fate or providence call it which we may had brought dunboyne's son and the daughter of the murderess together had inspired those two strangers with love and had emboldened them to plight their troth by a marriage engagement was the man's betrayal of the trust placed in him by the faithful girl to be esteemed a fortunate circumstance by the two persons who knew the true story of her parentage the minister and myself could we rejoice in an act of infidelity which had embittered and darkened the gentle harmless life of the victim or could we on the other hand encourage the ruthless deceit the hateful treachery which had put the wicked helena with no exposure to dread if she married into her wronged sister's place impossible in the one case as in the other impossible equally hopeless did the prospect appear when i tried to determine what my own individual course of action ought to be in my calmer moments 
the idea had occurred to my mind of going to dunboyne the younger and if he had any sense of shame left exerting my influence to lead him back to his betrothed wife how could i now do this consistently with my duty to the young man's father knowing what i knew and not forgetting that i had myself advised mr gracedew to keep the truth concealed when i was equally ignorant of philip dunboyne's parentage and of helena gracedew's treachery even if events so ordered it that the marriage of eunice might yet take place without any interference exerted to produce that result one way or the other on my part it would be just as impossible for me to speak out now as it had been in the long past years when i had so cautiously answered mr dunboyne's letter but what would he think of me if accident led sooner or later to the disclosure which i had felt bound to conceal the more i tried to forecast the chances of the future the darker and the darker was the view that faced me to my sinking heart and wearied mind good dame nature presented a more acceptable prospect when i happened to look out of the window of my room there i saw the trees and flower beds of a garden tempting me irresistibly under the cloudless sunshine of a fine day i was on my way out to recover heart and hope when a knock at the door stopped me had miss jillgall returned when i said come in mr Greystew opened the door and entered the room he was so weak that he staggered as he approached me leading him to a chair i noticed a wild look in his eyes and a flush on his haggard cheeks something had happened when you were in the room with me he began did i not tell you that i had forgotten something certainly you did well i have found the lost remembrance my misfortune i ought to call it the punishment for my sins is recalled to me now the worst curse that can fall on a father is the curse that has come to me i have a wicked daughter my own child sir my own child had he been awake while miss jillgall and i had been talking outside his door had he heard her ask me if mr gracedew had said nothing of helena's infamous conduct to her sister while he was speaking of eunice the way to the lost remembrance had perhaps been found there in any case after that bitter allusion to his wicked daughter some result must follow helena gracedew and a day of reckoning might be nearer to each other already than i had ventured to hope i waited anxiously for what he might say to me next end of chapter thirty five recording by warren cotty gurney illinois